are starting a new series um, here today, and uh, we are going through the book of James. And if you're not familiar with James, James is um, this book in the New Testament. And many scholars believe that this James is the James that was the brother of Jesus. And um, so we have James, and there's also a, a little book in the New Testament called Jude. And Jude is also believed to be the Jude that was Jesus' brother. So we've got these two brothers, and they both have a part of the New Testament that they have contributed to. Um, they grew up with Jesus, but as we know from John 7, um, his, John 7, really quick blurb, it says, his own brothers did not, talking about Jesus, his own brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. Okay, so they grew up with Jesus and, you know, it's just tough for brothers to, you know, I don't know, humble themselves before their brothers, right? Like that's tough. And so um, they just could not believe that the God of the universe was just that close. You know what I mean? And so they had a hard time getting over that. Um, but as I'll talk about in a minute, eventually James comes to believe in Jesus as Lord. It's an incredible testimony and witness. Um, and so over the course of this um, book of James, uh, which we're going to look at here um, today, the first part of that, one of the overarching themes is faith without action is dead. For James, the evidence of a real authentic faith in, in Jesus is a changed life. That real faith is not just a hollow shell or empty words, but it's this rich, living uh, trust in the God of the universe who is alive and at work in the world. And so he is calling the church um, to live with an engaged faithfulness to the gospel in the midst of uncertainty and trials. Now, um, we are going to begin in James 1, verse 1, and we'll see how far we get. But um, one thing to know about James is um, he, he weaves a lot of Jesus' teachings into his writing. He's, he's significantly influenced by Jesus, of course. But also, he's significantly influenced by the book of Proverbs, which he would have grown up reading with Jude and Jesus. And so he gets, like, straight to points, okay? Like, he is just dropping wisdom nuggets and truth bombs. Like, when you read James, you're like, is this Proverbs? Like, what is this? What is this? So um, he doesn't waste time, I guess is my point. So we'll see how far we can get um, with James 1 today. Um, so, let's begin reading. James 1, it'll be on the screen, you can follow along. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. A couple things to point out here in this introduction. Um, number one, Jesus says, James, I mean, James says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James did not believe in Jesus as Lord growing up, during Jesus' ministry and all that, but when, G when James saw Jesus crucified on a cross and rise from the dead three days later, um, we can tell what happened. He went on to give his life for the gospel. He led the head mother church in Jerusalem for 30 years, James did. And so um, James came to believe in Jesus as Lord, and he declares Jesus as Lord here in this letter. Um, so that's the first thing. Amazing. Like, 
I know, I know it's like a small verse, but it's like, that is incredible. Like, that is unbelievable. And um, then um, the second point is um, really quick. These letters, like when you're reading through some of them in the Bible, um, you know, like if Paul's writing or something, it's like a whole chapter that's just like, hey, what's up? You know, good to write to you guys and all this stuff. And, you know, there's like some greetings and mentioning of names and stuff like that. Um, and, and James is not doing that here. He's like, greetings, you know? <laughs> and this is kind of a general letter to early Christians. So he's like not wasting any time with, with these greetings. He's getting right into it. And so let's continue. We're gonna read verses two to four and hang out with that for a while. So verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So James is starting off his whole letter and he's addressing what an active, true faith looks like in the midst of uncertainty. And um, this is very, uh, it's important to understand this context about what James was, was going through as he was, you know, writing this and, and the things that he lived through. So um, he led the church in Jerusalem for 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He was responsible for this community that was in crisis. Um, so soon after the resurrection, you know, he takes over as a leader of this church and it's like ground zero for the, the Jesus movement. It's in Jerusalem. And um, there were significant challenges. So there was a famine in the region, and that led to significant poverty. Um, and you put that on top of the fact that most of the believers here were Jews who became followers of Jesus, and they were significantly persecuted in Jerusalem. And so um, there was poverty, and then they were persecuted on top of that. And so things were just not great for this church, um, so much so that we read uh, elsewhere in the New Testament that Paul is traveling around to other churches raising money to help James lead this church in Jerusalem. So, um, you know, Paul is sending money to help this church. And so this is where James is writing from. James is, is talking about uncertainty and, and faith in the midst of trials, and he gets it. He, he, he doesn't know our specific situation, or your specific situation here today, but for 30 years, he carried the weight of a community in crisis. And he saw the difficulty and he saw the trials. And so this is the, um, the, the perspective with which he talks about um, faith in the midst of trials. All right, so verse two, a couple things I wanna point out here really quick says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Number one, simple. He says we will face trials. He says whenever you face trials. He doesn't say like, if you ever might one day, maybe might face a trial or something. He's like, whenever. Like, it's going to happen, uh, whether they're small trials sometimes or other times they seem insurmountable. That, that there's no way you feel like you're gonna make it through. Um, and no matter who you are, there will be trials ahead. There's going to be things ahead that you did not sign up for. Um, and that is the very first thing that we notice here about what James says. The second thing is James says, okay, so when you face these trials, 
I want you to consider them as pure joy. And um, the way that he says this, it's kind of like implying to us, he's assuming our first response is not to consider it pure joy, okay? Like, I want you to shift your perspective to one of pure joy. So that means our first response is not often um, that, okay? Our first response is, well, I didn't, I didn't, first of all, we avoid this at all, as all possible. Like any trials that we have in our life, the things that we didn't sign up for, we didn't sign up for them. So, you know, we, we try to avoid them um, when at all possible. And once trials happen to us, we often try to escape. We're, we're turning left. We're turning right. We're like, get me out of here. I, I don't want this. Um, we're looking for a way out of the mess. Um, and... You know, our trials become the subject of a lot of our prayers. Um, and, and maybe for some of us, that is really the only time that we pray, is, is when we are in trials or facing trials, uh, or feeling overcome by our trials. And, um, you know, for some of us, that is, you know, what brings us um, to our knees. And that's, yeah. And so sometimes we think maybe um, if I pray enough, if I just have enough faith, like, God will take this from me. Um, or maybe our first um, response is like denial. It's just like, this isn't happening. Um, I got to figure out a way to distract myself um, and not think about this thing that's happening that I didn't sign up for right now. And so um, there's all these kind of different first responses that we can have. But the thing that James is, is implying here is like, your first response is probably not to consider it pure joy that you have this trial. And so, uh, so we face trials and we have the first response, but um, he wants us to consider the trials as pure joy. And he wants us to intentionally choose a different perspective. So before we go on, it's important to note, this is what, what James is not saying is um, I need you to feel warm and happy about the trials that you face. Um, he's not saying you need to act like you've won the lottery. Like whenever you're faced with a trial, you've got to have all this like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, he's not saying that. Like he, we, we know from the whole narrative of scripture that in the beginning, God created everything and he called it good, that God did not intend um, for sin and death and evil to be in the world. Um, and so that's the whole, um, you know, story of scripture. And so it's not how God intended it. This isn't how it's supposed to be. We shouldn't be okay with it. Um, Jesus was not okay with it. We see, you know, when Jesus is confronted with his friend Lazarus's death, it says that Jesus wept. Jesus was, was upset and angry at this reality, uh, at this trial that he was facing. This is not the way that God intended it. And so... Um, so James is not saying that um, the substance of our trials are like these good things, okay? He's not saying that. What he's saying is we need to reframe our trials as pure joy. It's, it's not gonna be our first response, but James is saying we need to actively and intentionally choose a different perspective. Now, this verse two like makes no sense and is is not great out of context, so we need to read the next two verses again and go through those, okay? So let's read um, verses three and four. So James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. 
Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, you know, when we face these trials and we, and we face these things that are they're not going as planned, this is not what we were planning on happening, um, James is saying that your faith in those moments is being tested. And let's talk real quick about this concept of testing. Um, testing, so testing video games, okay? Like you have people that test games to see where the flaws and the errors are and the things that don't work, and they're, you know, trying to test for those things. Um, and then there is like the testing of precious metal, okay? Like if you smelt gold, um, that is to purify the gold. So it, it removes all the impurities and the things that can't stand like the super hot heat of the furnace. And so when you smelt gold, it purifies it. Um, and so that's testing that metal. Um, and so what James is saying here is that trials expose the authenticity of our faith. That when things happen that we didn't sign up for and the things aren't going as planned, it's in those moments um, that, the, that the substance of our faith is revealed. What we say we believe and, and all this stuff, like that is revealed and we discover like deep down in the hardest, darkest moments, not what it says on social media about what we believe, not you know, whatever uh, we said we believe here or there or when things were going great. It's when things are not going as planned. Things are happening that we didn't sign up for. James is saying that is when your faith is tested. That is when it is revealed in the furnace of if what you have is pure gold or if it will just fade away. Or to put it another way, when we face trials, our circumstance, and our circumstances are not looking good, a what's-in-it-for-me faith just evaporates. A what's-in-it-for-me faith just disappears under pressure. But James says that the trials we face, and you know, they're going to test our faith, and it's in those moments, if we choose to stick with God, this word perseverance, if we choose to stick with God and stay with him under pressure, it's through this journey that we will grow into what James calls maturity and completeness. James says it's actually in the midst of our trials where God grows us and shapes us the most. It's in the midst of difficulty and the pain and the things we didn't sign up for that God refines us and he forges us into the men and the women that he has called us and created us to be. And there are a lot of good examples of this in scripture, but one of them is Paul. Paul, um, he, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He was an incredibly influential leader in the early church movement. And um, throughout his faith, his journey of following Jesus, this guy went through it. And you may have heard some of these things before. Paul was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was stoned, he was left for dead, shipwrecked. Often, you're reading, he's found like running for his life, okay? And um, here is what Paul, who's gone through and went through these things, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul faced all these trials that he didn't sign up for. And he's like, from the outside, it probably looks like I am just wasting away. But believe me, God is at work every single day, that God is renewing me every single day. And through these trials, which he calls light and momentary troubles, Paul says God is bringing heaven down to earth. That it's in the midst of these trials, um, through Paul's persevering faith, that countless people have come to know Jesus. Countless people have come to know Jesus because of Paul's persevering faith. Day by day, when we stick with God through the trials, he will renew us day by day. And he will use those circumstances to grow us into maturity. Here are some examples of what that looks like. He's gonna grow us in humility because when trials come, they remind us that we are limited. We are not God. And we are reminded how much we need God. We're reminded how much we need the help of others, that we can't just do it on our own. Trials remind us of that. They reveal to us our flaws. They reveal to us our gaps and our pride. Paul talks about a personal struggle that he had. He talks about having this thorn in the flesh. And Paul pleaded with God, God, take this from me, please. Take this struggle from me. But in the end, what Paul says is that God used this trial to grow him in humility. It kept him dependent on God. So that's number one. Trials can help us grow in humility. Number two, in our trials, we discover more about ourselves. What trials we face that God does not take away, he will use them if we stick with him to be the men and women that he has called us to be. Better leaders, better parents, better friends, better sons and daughters, that God will use those trials to help forge us into um, you know, the men and women that we desire to be, we so long to be, you know, this husband or this wife or this parent, and God's like, stick with me. Be faithful with me in the midst of the trials and the pressure, and I will forge you. I will shape you. Number two, number three, in trials, we can experience freedom. Here's what I mean by that. So in trials, we will lose things. Like, let's say we lose a shattered a dream. A dream of ours has been shattered. And uh, we thought we could never live without that. That, we, that was the purpose of our life. We thought, man, like that dream is everything, and we lost it. But when we stick with God in the midst of it, we learn that we can endure, that we can move forward. And that brings freedom to know that when we've lost something we thought we could not live without, when we stick with God, we see purpose. We see God at work. We see how God can work in and through us to bring heaven down to earth. And so that is freeing. Um, that's number three. The last one, um, trials help us to better love and serve others. 
We grow in empathy when we experience trials and we're willing to stick with God. That actually our capacity to deeply understand others and their hurts and their pains, they grow. It, that capacity grows. Um, and, and, and rather than the trial turning us inward, we actually are turned outward when we are being faithful with God in the midst of it. And um, the number of stories and testimonies that I've heard amongst you here in the seats of people who have been through a trial, stuck with God, and then from that place, walked alongside somebody else who was going through the same thing that you did. It's amazing. It's incredible. And so James' point is not that trials are supposed to be joyful, that we're supposed to be super pumped about them. Um, it's not how it's supposed to be. Trials are awful things. They're a result of living in this broken, sinful world. But the hope is that God is at work. And he is working things out. Look at Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have, called, who have been called according to his purpose. So if we are willing to stick with God, even when we are dealing with things that we never signed up for, he will transform us in the process. God says, in the end, I will work things out. So in the end, heaven comes to earth. God's kingdom is coming. You will grow in and maturity and, and, com and completeness. Now, uh, we're going to move on to verse 5. Okay, so um, we might be in the middle of a trial and we go, well, I believe in Jesus and I want to walk by faith through this. Um, and maybe I can see a little bit how God is working, but honestly, I still can't imagine why this is worth it. And here is what James says in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Out of context, if you just quoted this verse by itself, um, you might think that, oh, wisdom in general, like God is just gonna give me wisdom whenever I ask for it of whatever kind in whatever you know, situation. Um, but in context, with what we just read, we know that James is talking about if you specifically lack wisdom in the area of seeing the way through the trial. Specifically, if we lack the perspective of seeing our circumstances the way that God sees them. That we lack the perspective to see how God is working. James says, then ask God for wisdom. So what does that look like? Like, what does it look like to ask God for wisdom and how does this play out? Um, think about it like this. Have you ever been like in a, a room that was totally, completely pitch black? Um, and, it, you know, and you're trying to like move in the dark and find your way through the dark and, you know, you got your hands like out and you're searching, you're like using your ears, you're you're listening, um, and you're trying to just get a bearing of like, well, where am I, and, and what's the way forward, and how do I take the next step? 
and I need some, something to guide me, you know, something to hold on to. And um, that's how it can feel. Sometimes when they're in the midst of a trial, it just feels like, God, like, what are we doing here? Like, God, like, like God, like, what are we doing here? Like, like help me to see and understand what is happening here. God, I, I, you know, something to hold on to, some way forward, I can't see it. James says, cry out to God. Pray to God saying, give me your eyes, God, to see how you see. I don't have the perspective to see the path forward, to see what you're doing. Say, God, I, I want to see my relationships the way that you do. I want to see my finances the way that you do. I want to see my marriage the way that you do. All these things. And as we lean into God and ask him for wisdom, as we seek to endure with him and move forward, God will give us wisdom. There are so many ways that God works. I'll just name a few. God guides us with, with his word, with the Bible, with scripture. It's God's truth. It's just not something that God said a long time ago, that this is the living, breathing word of God, that God is actively speaking to us through his word when we are willing to enter in and listen. Scripture reminds us of who we are and who God is. Next thing, worship songs, like God created music. It is beautiful. There's an entire book in the Bible that's just psalms of like different music and, and things like that. And um, there is so much power in, in declaring who God is through song in reminding us of, God, who, of God's truth in song. And so um, worship songs may be one of the ways that God speaks to you in the midst of a trial. A faith community the body of Christ right here. That's why small groups are so important. It helps you um, build relationships with people in an intimate way uh, within the church where, you're, you know, where you can be known and loved and cared for and pursued and all these things. And you can do the same for somebody else. And it's, it's in those relationships when we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe you, you have those relationships or they're in your family. Uh, it's their words of encouragement and support. Um, God can use to guide um, us through them. We have to be open. We have to be humble. We have to be willing to listen and invite them in and, and willing to be vulnerable with that, right? Last thing I will mention is just the power of prayer. The power of coming before God and, and crying out that God will listen to our laments. That God is worthy of our praise. Um, that, that God, you know, and, and through that process, you know, God aligns our hearts with his. He helps us see things the way that he sees them. And so uh, there are many ways that God gives us this wisdom I think that James is talking about, and that's just a few of them. And so when we lack the perspective, when we lack that seeing that next step, you know, um, and God gives us these, these other perspectives to help us see differently because, like, we're looking at this trial, and all we see is this insurmountable mountain. And we just sometimes kind of this laser focus and we see no other perspective. And we need to ask God for wisdom. So, review really quick, then we're gonna move on. We will face trials, James says. And when we do, he challenges us to choose to see the trial as a source of joy. 
Because God will work in and through them to refine us, to forge us into the men and women he's called us to be and to bring heaven down to earth, that if we stick with him, he will use them. And if we lack the wisdom to see as God sees, to see what he is doing and how he is renewing us day by day and working in our midst, we can ask him for wisdom. Now, going to verse six. James says, but when you ask, so when you ask God for wisdom, James says, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. James says, when you ask for you know, this wisdom um, that helps you through trials, you must believe and not doubt. So um, first, let me just tell you what James is not saying here. He's not saying you can never have uncertainty ever in your faith journey. Um, doubt is just part of being human. Like we ask questions and when we lean to God and we pursue the answers to those questions, um, we learn and we grow and we'll answer some questions about God and then we get a bunch more questions from that answer, right? Like that's just the journey of faith. Um, and faith covers the gap between what we can and can't understand. But doubt is just a part of that um, process. It's just part of being human. Like we're using the brains that God gave us, right? Like, <laughs> um, and we're asking questions. And so that's not what James is saying. It's not like you just need to have this blind faith and, and all this stuff. What he's saying here, um, verse six, is um, you know when it says doubt, uh, it's actually the same Greek word that translates to double-minded the two verses later, okay? So this one Greek word that means double-minded, it's, it's not used anywhere else in the, the New Testament, okay? It's like this word that James coined, okay? Slang, I don't know, maybe. James is like made up this word. Um, and so um, what it means is to have two minds uh, or to have two souls, um, and also to help us better understand this, um, the Greek word that translate unstable, because he's like, you know, if you're double-minded, you're, you're unstable in all your ways. The word behind the word, um, you know, unstable, that means to be unsteady and, and wavering in both your character and feelings. So a double-minded person is one who is unsteady and wavering in both their character in, and feeling. So this doubting that James is talking about here, um, it's about someone that has an inner conflict about their faith. It's this wishy-washy kind of relationship with God. And it's, it's, you know, for example, it's like following, I'm good with following Jesus like in this area of my life, but when it comes to my finances, um, nah, I, I got that, you know? And so maybe we compartmentalize um, where we're allowing God um, to take over and the other parts we are holding on to those things. Or we're like, January 1st, I'm all in, God. Like, I got you. But like right now, I, 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 I'm taking the wheel. Like I, you know, I'm kind of half in and half out. And that's what James is talking about. He's like um, the double-minded kind of faith that gets blown by the wind when any kind of pressure and trials come. It's one where it's, it's one foot in and one foot out. 
That's the kind of faith that is not going to anchor you. And you're going to get tossed around. Now, the opposite of this double-minded kind of faith that James is talking about, um, we're going to go back to verse 4. Because this idea of perseverance is, um, this persevering faith is much, is is the opposite of a double-minded kind of faith. Let me read verse 4 again. James says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the Greek word behind the word perseverance, it means steadfast, to stand fast, to be unwavering, to be immovable. It's, it's like having this inner poise, this inner peace, this anchor that holds you no matter what the circumstances are around you. And I think if we were looking at these two things, this, you know, wishy-washy, one foot in, one foot out kind of faith that does not stand the pressure and gets tossed about by the wind, uh, or this faith that anchors you no matter what, I think we'd say we all want to be steadfast. We all want to be unwavering in the face of trials. We all want to have the strength and the courage to not look left or to look right or to retreat, but to stay and to stand fast in the face of trials. We all would probably say that we want that. But what James is saying is the only way this is possible is with a single-minded focus on God. That being in relationship with God, with the God of the universe, his abundant love for us is the only thing that a trial cannot touch. All of the things in life that we can try to hold on to, um, they, they can fall apart. And when they fall apart, we fall apart with them. And we get tossed around like a wave in the sea. James says, if we are willing to stick with God in the middle of the pressure, that he will transform us in the process. Now we're going to skip down to um, verse 13 uh, in, in James chapter 1. And what James starts to tackle here is, um, okay, so he's talked about how we should consider it a source of joy when we face trials. And if we stick with God, like God is going to do some amazing things in that. But like, if we don't, is it like neutral? Like, so God like doesn't do great things, but like, does it have like what happens, right? And James is like, um, actually, trials can destroy us. That trials can make us um, worse off. And, and, you know, and I'll explain that here in a second. Let's go ahead and read 13 to 15. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So when we face trials and we are under pressure, um, there is this uh, potential for the trial to forge us into gold or to... um, make us worse, that it can make us more bitter, can make us more selfish. 
It can um, drive us to resentment and hate and, and, and just an unhealthy kind of anger. Um, they, that trials can drive us uh, to be to just unhealthy situations. Um, these things that we turn to to cope and deal with the pain. And then, and then we get in these situations and maybe we end up blaming God and we just say, God, I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances. God, like, look what has happened to me. God, look what has happened to me. You did this to me, God. Like, you've done this to me. And James is saying, that is not who God is. It's not in his nature. God is not actively working against you. That the God of the universe um, came down incarnate in Jesus to live and walk among us, to, to die for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins, so that he could, so that by believing in him and he conquered death through his resurrection, um, that we can have a relationship with him, that Jesus wants desperately to have a relationship with us. He is good, James says. And he will say that later as we'll read. James says that God is good. What, what's happening here, the difference between whether our trials turn us into someone better or worse, um, it, it's not about the, the substance of our circumstances. It's all about the posture of our heart. The English translation um, that translates to evil desire is, is a little misleading and, you know, um, from what the actual original Greek means. And so what James means by this idea of the evil desire, it, it's ultimately anything that we put as more important than God. Um, anything that we desire to have um, any dream, any relationship, any amount of, you know, any goal that we have, um, anything that we make more important than God, um, you know, is, is what James is talking about. And it's not necessarily that these things are like inherently bad things. Like to desire companionship is not evil. But what James is saying, it's, it's where we place that on our priority list. It's, it's are we putting that above God? Are we being double-minded and trying to think about God and, and putting him first, but then we're also doing that over here? Or are we being singly focused on God? That's what James is talking about here. What he's saying is when the night is darkest and God is inviting us to trust him in the midst of that, and God says, just trust me. Let me finish my work in and through you. But it's in the midst of that maybe we turn away from him, that we give up on him, we quit on what he's trying to do in our lives. So this is what James is talking about. James is talking about um, trials can make us better or worse. They can make us more bitter, more cynical, more self-absorbed. Um, and that cynicism and, and that jadedness can, can just make us unable to have intimate, healthy relationships with other people. Um, or our trials can make us more unselfish. Our trials can actually turn us not inward, but outward. Not more about ourselves, but we start to see the needs of, and what's happening in people around us more and more. 
Our trials can help us grow in humility. They can help us grow our capacity to love and serve others. They can help us grow our ability to walk alongside other people in their trials. And James says it's not about the substance of your circumstances. It's about the posture of our heart in the midst of them. And the way that we make sure that trials make us better and not worse is to say yes to Jesus. Not half-heartedly, but with everything that you have to say, God, I live for you alone. He is the ultimate anchor. Look at what James says in uh, these last few verses we'll look at in 17 and 18. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What we all want to experience, we all want to experience this this new birth, this new life, and have this persevering faith where Jesus is our ultimate anchor, where um, in the face of trials, we don't look left or right, but we stand fast. And here is how we get this. And we're gonna look at the word perseverance one last time. Perseverance is what James says. It's one of the key things that we get from trials when we stick with God. And this Greek word for perseverance, it appears all throughout the Bible. In one of the places we see this word perseverance, which can also translate as endurance, is Hebrews 12. And it says this. For the joy set before him, him being Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. He persevered the cross. He on that cross, he persevered and he took on the weight of the sins of the world. Your brokenness and my brokenness, he bore it all out of his love for us. It's the greatest act of love in the history of the world. Because you know what Jesus did in the face of the darkest moment? He endured. Jesus stood fast. Jesus stayed. He was willing to endure. For what? For the joy set before him. He persevered because he saw. He saw the joy before him. He saw you and he saw me. That Jesus went through all of that He bore the weight of the sins of the world so that we could, by believing in him, have new life in his name. Because he knew God could could and would work all things together for good. It's because Jesus stood fast out of love for us that we can experience new life in him. In him we are forgiven. In him we are made new. So when the trials come, 
when we are followers of Jesus and we're surrounded by uncertainty, we can stand fast. And what that means is we're not just standing fast by saying, okay, I, I just need to suck it up because I know that God is gonna do something good here. The reason we stand fast is out of love for the one who stood fast for us. Jesus stood fast for you and he stood fast for me on that cross. So whether the trials break soon or the trials don't, that God in the end, he will restore everything to himself. So, when you're going through it, stand fast. Keep showing up. Lean into your faith community. Lean in to the church here and to a small group. If you're not in one, maybe you join a small group. We have an incredible care ministry here with a lay counseling program where you can get free counseling with somebody who loves Jesus and wants to help and serve you. That can be a way to lean in, to invite God, to invite um, other brothers and sisters in Christ into the midst of your mess. Spend time with God in prayer and in his word. Just show up and be with him and, and allow God to renew you day by day. Don't try turning right or turning left. Jesus' invitation is to stay, to keep loving God, to keep loving your neighbor, to keep serving others, to not turn inward, but to turn outward. Don't shortchange what God is trying to do in you right now. Here's the thing is that the trial that you are going through might just be the center of what God is trying to do in and through you. We know that if we trust him, he will either take it from us or he will use it. He will redeem it. He will renew us day after day. He will transform us in the process if we are willing to stick with him. Today, we are going to take communion together as a church and um, communion reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And um, for some of you today, as you take communion, it is representing your decision to say yes to Jesus for the first time, to say, yes, Jesus, I will stand fast. I will stand fast for you as you have stood fast for me. Let that be um, symbolic as we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So in a moment, the ushers are gonna come forward. They will pass the cup and the bread. And if you'd like to partake, you just take them and hold on to them. And I will come back up after worship and we will take them together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your steadfastness. God, we thank you for um, being a God who loves us so much that you were willing um, to send Jesus in our place. And so God, you um, 
God, you know what's happening in every single person's life here in this room, God, and watching online. God, I pray that um, you would make your presence known to each and every one of us, God, that we would be willing to fully trust you. That, God, you would give us your eyes to see things the way that you do. And God, that through the process that you would renew us day by day, God, that you would give us the courage and the strength to press forward, to be your light in the world, to to be where we are called to be, to bring heaven down to earth. God, may um, we continue to love and serve and praise you in the midst of our trials. God, we love you. We know you are big enough. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name.